Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us at 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke for me. We actually get to finish the Gospel of Luke this morning. We get to. Amen. Chapter 24, the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to start reading at verse 36. <clears throat> As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are a witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Thank you, Andy. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here this morning on this beautiful day. I told somebody we should have church outside this morning. So beautiful. It's good to see you all. Good to see some friends I hadn't seen in a while. Um, good to see you all. Um, I, I, I did some remembering this morning, 2014 in January of that year, we, we made a conscious decision to switch from what you might call topical teaching, where you would, you would pick a, a topic or a subject, and then you would find some scriptures here and there throughout the Bible and, and just try to piece together what scripture says about a, a given topic. We, we decided to stop that and we started teaching straight through books of the Bible, and we've been doing that ever since for almost nine and a half years. Uh, and some of you might remember we started with the Gospel of Mark, and we went all the way through, and it took us a long time. And I remember telling a friend of mine that I consider to be my pastor um, who was encouraging me to make this switch and start teaching through books of the Bible. I, I held up my Bible, and I said, if I do it this way, in two years I'm only going to cover this much of the Bible. And he said, well, at least you and your people will know that much. Amen. You know, there's something about experiencing God and coming to know God and Jesus making himself known as the scriptures are opened. 
I, I was sitting here on the front row in this service thinking about, I think it was probably, when, when did we go to London the first time? Was it 97? 97, we're on a missions trip, and we're doing ministry in the streets. We, we had this drama that we did with sticks. There were no words, which just rhythm and sticks, and it kind of portrayed the story of Jesus. And we were in, uh, I think, Leicester Square in London. It's a highly trafficked common area, and there were just, I don't know, probably a couple of hundred people standing around watching us. And Mary and I and a couple of friends got invited by a local man and woman to come back to their flat for tea. Uh, so we did. We went back to their flat. It's probably the danger. I mean, we didn't even know these people, and we're in London across the sea, but we go to their flat for tea, and uh, one of our friends had a guitar, and he played some songs that he had written, and I remember, I don't remember exactly all of how it went down, but I do remember we were in that apartment, and it was clear. It was clear. These people didn't know the Lord. They were as sweet as they could be, but all the stuff, I won't describe everything that was in that apartment, but it was clear. And the, the atmosphere, that place felt heavy. And I remember being prompted by the Lord. I had my Bible with me. And I'll never forget this. It was, it was literally like I opened the Bible in that apartment. And it was, it was like someone turned the lights on. It was, it was incredible. It was powerful. There was such a tangible sense that Jesus was there, right? And that might sound weird to you. That might sound strange or mystical, but it was real. We felt it. Um, and I, I don't even remember what I read. And I don't remember. I probably did not explain it very well. I was only 20 years old. No offense to 20-year-olds, but... Uh, I, I didn't know much, and, but I just remember reading the scripture. And how many of you understand the Bible says in Colossians that the word of God bears fruit and increases wherever it goes? Worship tore me up. I'm trying to get it together, but man, um, it bears fruit and increases wherever it goes, even if it's being read through a weak, finite, doesn't really know anything human agent. And I read that scripture, and, and the, the, the whole atmosphere of the room changed, and we prayed with this man and this woman to receive Christ right there in that apartment in London, connected him with a local church, and I don't know what happened after that. I pray that one day we'll greet them when he comes. Because one day, our faith is going to give way to sight, right? And I pray that when I see him, I see them too. But I don't know what happened. I just know the risen Jesus showed up and made himself known. His presence was felt, and his word bore fruit. Christians, we need experience with the living God. We need to know the word, and we need to understand the word. All three are important. All three, think of a three-legged stool, all right? You take one leg off, and that stool becomes unstable. You know, I grew up in a church tradition that overemphasized experience and minimized the word. And how many of you know that's an unstable stool? It's not either or, it's both and for all three, if that makes sense. We need to experience, because... 
He's really alive. The apostle Peter said, you don't see him, but you love him. And you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. That's faith that's come alive on the inside of us. And that's a work of God. That's a gift of God. We don't produce that on our own. He's, he's really risen. And he, he graces us in his kindness in tangible ways in which we know he's present and we feel him and we experience him. But we don't just need that. We also need to know the word. And we not only need to know the word, anybody that can read can pick this book up and read the words on the page and understand them to a certain degree. But there's a different level of understanding that comes, and you might call it theology. You might call it exposition. It's not just that we're here to try to get information from a book to our head. We need to know it, but we also need to understand it. And that, in and of itself, is a supernatural work of God. When you open the word and you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, right? And here's what's so fascinating to me as we come to the end of Luke's gospel. We've been journeying through Luke's gospel for two and a half years, and we're here. That's not a small thing. We've literally, I don't, I, I, I really do not mean this theoretically or metaphorically. We have literally been journeying with Jesus and his apostles and his followers through this gospel. Three and a half years or so of ministry that he did during the days of his incarnation. We've been journeying with him and now we've come to the end of this Luke's account. And he's risen. And here's what he's doing. It's so fascinating to me. He's giving his disciples experience with him. And he's rehearsing the scriptures with them. And he's opening their minds to understand the scriptures. All three legs of the stool are here. And we need this. All right? So let's dive in. I want to back up and pick up some verses I didn't get to last week. Verse 33 of Luke 24. We hand me my water, darling. And they, who's the they? It's the two disciples that made the journey to Emmaus. We talked about this last week. They, the disciples are just sitting in the ashes of grief and confusion on the heels of Jesus' death. And I think these two left Jerusalem. They left the gathering of Jesus' followers, probably in their grief and confusion, and just wanted to get out of town. And they made this seven-mile journey to this village called Emmaus, and Jesus showed up. And their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's fascinating. It wasn't like he was disguised. God prevented them from seeing him. And, and we asked the question, why would he do that? Well, what's interesting is, while Jesus is walking with them on this seven-mile journey, which probably took them about two hours. You know, Wayne Hillman could probably do it in an hour. But we, we, it take, take you about two hours to walk seven miles. And Jesus, what does he do? He opens the, you would think he would just go, ta-da. He opens the scriptures with them. And they said, didn't our hearts burn while he walked with us and opened the scriptures for us? And then they come back to the house. He breaks the bread and whatever veil was over their eyes is lifted and they see him and he vanishes. 
These guys that were once sitting in the ashes of grief and confusion are now overwhelmed with excitement and joy. And guess what they do? They turn around and walk those seven miles back to Jerusalem. They've logged, how many is that? 14. Y'all did so much better in the first service. They were pulling out their phones and trying to calculate. It was hilarious. I'm just kidding. Um, 14 miles in one day. We're still on Resurrection Sunday. This is still the first day. It's late in the day. But they've logged 14 miles, and I imagine they came back that second seven a little faster than the first. And they get back. What happens? And they found the 11, and those who were with them gathered together. And they're ready to tell them what happened on the road, but they get interrupted. And the rest of them that are there say, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Now, we don't even, we, there's no gospel record of that appearance. You might remember when Jesus appeared to Simon and six others that went fishing, and, and there's that famous interchange on the shore where Jesus is cooking fish with charcoal. That's in the Bible. Charcoal's biblical. Okay? That famous interchange, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Well, John's clear. John chapter 21, that took place eight days after the resurrection. So, there's no record of this appearance that was made to Simon sometime between these two disciples leaving to go to Emmaus and then coming back. We don't have a record of it. All we know is it happened. And now this room that was once full of grief and confusion is now overwhelmed with excitement also as they say, he's really risen. Simon has seen him. And then they, the two disciples, verse 35, told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. I don't want to speculate too much. I try not to speculate too much about Scripture, but I do think God gave us an imagination, and it's useful. The Holy Spirit uses it as we read. I wonder if they're not starting to connect some dots One of those dots might be because Jesus was revealed to those two disciples in the breaking of the bread, we know this, much of their fellowship with Jesus during the days of his incarnation was around the table. I wonder, can't prove it, but I wonder if they're not starting to think fellowship with Jesus is going to keep going. Just a few hours before, he's dead, and maybe this is all over. Now I can't help but wonder if they're thinking, maybe we're still, maybe he's still going to be with us. When they tell the two disciples that Simon has seen Jesus, here's what they say: the Lord appeared to Simon. Again, I don't want to make too much out of that. But it's almost like maybe they're starting to realize his death was not a defeat. Maybe he's still Lord, and maybe the mission continues. Is that fair? Like, like I think we could go there a little bit with our imagination, sanctified imagination that fellowship is going to continue, and the mission is going to continue. And I told you this last week. We finished Luke today. Next week is baptism, worship, communion, and then the following week we're going to begin a short run through the first two chapters of the book of Acts. And here's how 
Luke wrote the book of Acts as well, kind of volume one, volume two. Here's how Luke opens Acts 1, verse 1. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. What's the implication? He's still doing stuff. So I wonder, is fellowship going to continue? And is the mission going to continue? I don't know if they've gotten that far yet, but here's what I know. If they are going to get their heads around it. Is, is fellowship going to continue? Yes. Is the mission going to continue? And if they're going to get their heads around that, guess what they need? They need to experience him. They need to know the word, and they need to understand the word. They need all three legs of the stool. So watch what Jesus does. Verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace to you, shalom. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, why, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? I just love picturing Jesus just appearing. Like maybe he was there and they just couldn't see him and then they could see him. It's like, what, what's going on there? But when they see him, I can almost hear it. Shalom. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to doubt. Why? Because he's there. And that's really all that matters. If he's there, if he's alive, everything's changed. But they're startled, they're afraid. They think he's a ghost, they're not sure he's real. They're not, they're not sure what to do with what they're seeing, you know, it, and, and I don't know about you, but if someone just appeared in the room, that would scare me, okay, that, that would freak me out just, just a little bit. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe his appearance has changed. It's not that he's unrecognizable, but listen, he's in his resurrected, glorified state. It's really him, but he's different. He's, he's, he's in a state church. And if you're not a church or a Bible person, this might, I don't know. I don't know how this will hit you, but here's what the Bible teaches. He's in a state that we're going to be in one day. What's, what's that going to be like? Look at this on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. This is the Apostle Paul. Behold, look, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be what? Changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be what? Changed. Changed. What does the word change imply? It implies that there's going to be continuity and also discontinuity. Continuity in the sense that I think the Bible has a lot, to, the New Testament has a lot to say about the resurrected state. And I'm not going to cover the gamut of that, but I'll just say this much. We're going to still be us. We're still going to be us. We're still going to be real. We're still going to be tangible. 
We're still going to be recognizable, but we're going to be changed. The continuity is that we'll still be us, but the discontinuity is that something's going to be different. This body, which, you know, if, if, if you're anywhere close to my age and beyond, you know this, this body is perishable. Can the church say amen? It's perishable. It's wearing out. It's decaying. There's nothing we can do to stop that. You don't have to be a theologian to believe that. That's just true. We're wasting away. We're getting older. But this is what the Bible teaches, is that this body that's wasting away is one day going to be made new. We'll be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The, the, the perishable is going to put on imperishable, which means, this is great news, we'll never die. What's that going to be like? What's that resurrected state going to be like? Here's what's beautiful is that we can actually learn some things about it from what Jesus does right here. Keep in mind, these disciples need to experience him. They need to know the word, and they need to understand the word. They need all three legs of the stool. So he's going to give them an experience, and this experience that they have tells us some things about his res resurrected state and about what our resurrected state is going to be like. Look at this, verse 39. Jesus says, see my hands and feet. Why is he pointing that out? The scars are there. You know what that proves? Two things. Nobody stole the body. I said this on Easter Sunday. There is more historical veracity to the gospel accounts of the empty tomb than there is that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated in 1865. You got to do something with the fact that Rome could not produce a body. This wasn't just a rumor. He came out of that tomb and nobody stole that body because he shows up with his disciples and goes, look, see my hands, see my feet. Nobody stole the body and he didn't get a different body. God didn't give him some new spectacular body. This is the same body they laid in the tomb. But it's changed. See my hands and my feet? See that it is I myself. It's really me, guys. Touch me and see. Look at the experience. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Flesh and bones? We got a doctor here. What does that mean? He's real, physical. He's not a ghost. He's got flesh and bones. And listen, folks, he's still human. During the days of his incarnation, he never ceased to be God. He fully took on humanity. In his resurrected state, he is still God, and he is the new humanity. He is the God-man to this day. He's got flesh and bones. And, and listen, the more you study the Bible, the deeper you dive into Scripture, 
I'll be straight with you. The more our dependence on the Holy Spirit must go up in order for our capacity for mystery to grow. Because here's the mystery, folks. The body of Jesus is somewhere. And he's as tangible as you and I are right now. He, I would even argue he's more real than we are. We're, we're not, listen, in the resurrected state, we're not going to be translucent people in some floaty place. It's going to be real. He has flesh and bones. He's human. He's got organs and muscles and tendons and he's real. Touch me. See. You're not seeing things. You're not, you're not delusional. I'm real. Flesh and bones. And they, look at verse 41. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, I am so thankful the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write that down. This is literally them looking at each other going, can you believe this? Can you identify with that? While they still disbelieved for joy and marveling, this is like they are minds blown. But he still needs to help them with this experience. Look what he does. He said to them, have y'all got anything to eat? And they gave, only Dr. Luke would record this detail. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. That sounds gross. I'd rather it be fried or grilled, but broiled fish. And he took it and he did what? He ate it. He's got teeth. This might sound, I'm not trying to just be funny, but this is one of the things that I think Christians don't think well enough about. The technical term is corporeal. His resurrection is physical. He's got teeth. He can chew. He can swallow. I don't know if he was hungry or not. Maybe in the resurrected state, we don't get hungry. I don't know. I just know he ate a piece of fish and swallowed it and somehow or another digested it. And they need this experience with him. They need to touch him, and they need to see that he's real. They need to hear him speak, and they need him to confirm, I'm really here. I'm not dead. I'm alive. We need experience, too. I said, you know, I grew up in a tradition that just overemphasized experience, but sometimes while minimizing the word and understanding the word, but here's what I don't want for me and I don't want for you is I don't want us to ever think that this is a mere intellectual exercise or a mere emotional journey that we're trying to go on. Experience is not the only foundation of our faith, but it is a crucial part of it. And there's a lot of believers in this room who I'm sure could testify this morning of times in your life where you have experienced in ways that could not be denied the real, tangible presence of the Lord Jesus with you. When you felt his peace that passed understanding, when you found yourself walking in supernatural joy in the midst of suffering, 
when you experienced healing or deliverance, some supernatural work, a power of God at work in you, and you know Jesus is with you in the midst of that, when you hear his voice in the depths of your soul, and you know it's him, we need to experience him. Don't ever think that the Christian life is one that is void. of. We do not live an ordinary life anymore. We go about our ordinary things, but we're anything but ordinary. At least according to the Bible, here's what the Bible says, we're born again. We're filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Yep, but inwardly, we're being made new day by day. This is a supernatural life, supernatural relationship with the risen Lord. But we don't just need experience. We also need the word. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's doing the same kind of thing he did with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's rehearsing the scripture with them. They need to know the scripture. To which we might say, well, Bradley, didn't the Pharisees know the scripture? Yeah. And they didn't believe. Here's what Jesus said to them. John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Lots of people can quote the Bible. Knowing the Bible is important. The Pharisees knew the Bible. That's good. But apparently they were missing something because they didn't come to Jesus and have life. Here's what's even more scary. Satan knows the Bible. He quoted it to Jesus when he was tempting him in the wilderness. That doesn't mean that knowledge isn't important. Knowledge is important. That's why we study through the Bible verse by verse all the time and we'll never stop. Because we need to know. But apparently, we not only need to know the scriptures, we need something else as well. There's a third leg to this stool. We need experience. We need the knowledge of the scriptures. And here comes the third leg, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I'm going to say a word that for some people turns them off. Theology. You know, it's not hard to find Christians who are averse to that word because it just sounds like, okay, well, we're just trying to be academics here. You know, one of the things that I felt called to do, I I felt led to lead this church in, is that we want to make deep accessible I want everybody that comes to Rest Church to know you can dive deep into the word for yourself. And you don't need a seminary degree. You don't need a doctorate degree. You don't have to read old dusty theologians. That's fine if you want to, good if you want to. There's some people in this church that do that. I won't name any names. (laughs) 
But you, you, you can be a theologian. And let's not make the mistake of thinking that theology or studying theology is a mere academic exercise because it's not. Do you see what Luke just said in verse 45? He, he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. When we read and when we understand, when we, you, you know those moments, right? And aren't they so sweet when you read it and you go, I see it. It's just, it's just right there. That's a supernatural work, folks. I think, I think we, you, know, we, you hear a lot of talk in the church about why don't we see more miracles today? I th- personally, I, I get that. And I would love to see more things like we're going to see in the book of Acts. But I think supernatural things are happening all the time, and we just fail to perceive it. When you open the word and you see it and your soul comes alive, that's not just because you figured something out like 2 plus 2 equals 4. Something more is happening. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse three. <clears throat> this is the apostle Paul. And he says, and if our gospel is veiled, hidden, clouded, It is veiled to those who are perishing. That's why when an unbeliever hears the gospel, he or she might respond with something to the effect of that's foolishness. It's not like they can't understand the words you're saying. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. God has made him both Lord and Christ. He will return in power to judge the living and the dead. It's not like a person in their right mind, could not understand those words, but they might hear them and say that's foolishness. It's because it's veiled. The understanding of the word is not something that humans are capable of on their own. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. If I were to put that in my own words, not that Paul needs my help, I would say it this way. When you open the word, when we open it together and we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, this is what Paul just said is happening. The same God who in the beginning said, let there be light, has illuminated our hearts. It's a supernatural work. It is in and of itself an experience with the risen Jesus. And it is coupled with both knowledge of the word 
and understanding of the word, which all adds up to we've got a solid three-legged stool. You with me? And when there's a solid three-legged stool, the church becomes the hope of the world. Why? Not because we're just awesome sauce, but because when the church is working right, experience, knowledge, understanding, it is through the church that the risen Jesus makes himself known. When a person comes to Christ, it's not because they've decided that Christianity just sounds more believable than the others or because they've decided to turn over a new leaf, make a New Year's resolution. That's not what's happened. What's happened is Jesus has shown up, and he's made himself known, and the God who said, let there be light, has illuminated a darkened heart. Somebody's been called from death to life. A hard heart has been taken out, and a soft heart has been put in, and the spirit that raised Christ from the dead has now raised that soul up with Christ and seated him or her in heavenly places with the risen Christ, who is physical, real, tangible, flesh and bone, and seated at the right hand of God the Father, far above all rule, power, and authority. This is not ordinary. And God, forgive us for making it so. Experience, biblical knowledge, supernatural understanding, all three are needed for the church to participate with Jesus in his ongoing kingdom agenda. And before I read any more, I just want to make sure that we see that that's what Jesus is giving them before he says this. Verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This, probably that last line, is the primary reason why we're going to study the first two chapters of the book of Acts over the next few weeks. It's because this is not where the story ends. This is a climactic moment. But this is not where the story ends. Jesus is making it clear that the mission continues. And what's the mission? The mission is that now the church is called to participate with Jesus in leading others to experience the risen Jesus to know the scriptures, and to understand the scriptures. And in so doing, come from death to life. There's a mission. And apparently, if these disciples at least are going to participate with Jesus in that ongoing mission, they need power. Now, they've got some experience with power. They've been sent out in his name. And according to Luke, they've healed the sick. 
They've cast out demons. And they've proclaimed that the kingdom of God has come within reach. They've got some experience with power, but apparently they need more. And Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they are clothed with power from on high. That's going to happen 50 days from this moment on the event we call Pentecost. And we're going to study it on Pentecost Sunday at the end of May. We're going to learn about the power that came, not only for them, but for us. It's the same Holy Spirit, folks. It's the same Spirit at work in them that is now at work in us so that when we leave and we scatter, we just came here and we sang about one day our faith's going to give way to sight, that he's holding us fast, right? We sang that all of our ways are known to him. Like that's incredible news, isn't it? And it's news that we're called to share. We are witnesses of these things. And this is what Jesus is calling them to be. But they need power. Verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Wouldn't you love to know the words he used in that blessing? Because this was not just some sentimental expression. He's conferring something to them beneficial to them. But while his hands are lifted, while he blessed them, verse 51, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing the temple blessing God. And that's where the gospel ends. And I want to go, but wait a minute, Luke. He left. I don't know about you, but when someone I love leaves on a long journey, I'm not happy about it. I'm happy when they come back. And, and we sing about this all the time. We read about it in Scripture. Jesus Christ will return, and we will see him. And you know what? When we see him, here's what the Bible says. We're going to be like him. But what about between now and then? I ask the question. I read that, and I go, why are they so full of joy at his parting? I think because he's given them experience, he's rehearsed the word with them, and he's opened their mind to understand the scriptures, I think that now they understand some things. The ascension is probably the most neglected and under-celebrated part of the gospel in the local church today. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. Acts chapter 1. Luke gives us a little more detail in volume 2 about the ascension. But I think by this point they understand that his ascension, they, you know, they watched him be carried away in a cloud as he's blessing them. I think they understand that he's still going to be with them. That his parting doesn't mean he's not there. I think they understand that fellowship with him is going to continue. That they're going to continue to sense and experience and know his presence. That they're going to, and we're going to read this in Acts chapter 2 at the end of the, of the chapter. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking bread and the fellowship and to prayers, and they met together with glad and sincere hearts. I don't think that that was only because they really liked each other. They probably did, but I think it was because they had a real, biblically soaked understanding. Jesus is with us. We're the body of Christ. So I think they have a sense in his parting that fellowship with him is going to continue, and they certainly have a clear sense that the mission continues, that there's more work to be done, that all of those exciting, wonderful things that they experienced with him before his death are going to continue in his name through the church. And, and this, I'm telling you guys, I love reading and studying the Bible. I love those big ahas. I love those moments when I know I'm seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But the more you read and study the Bible, the more you realize we are simply not called to live an ordinary life. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure what to do with that. Because I still need to cut my grass. I need to go, I need to work. I need to pay my house payment and my taxes. I got to raise my kids. I'm going, I go on trips and visit family. I still go to the grocery store and I have to do all these normal things, right? That's what our life's full of. And that's not bad. That's right. That's good. I'm convinced of that. I just think that the Bible tells us we're not called to live ordinary days with ordinary expectations. Does that make sense? I don't think we're called to live, ordinary, live out ordinary days in an ordinary way. Because if this is true then our life with Christ is anything but ordinary. And what might that look like? What might it look like if we scattered from here and our expectations started to rise to the level of what we profess to believe? Would it be possible for us to go about ordinary days doing ordinary things with this heightened sense of joy an expectation, Jesus, how do you want to make yourself known? I don't think we have to figure out the how. I don't think the answer is to go through this book and say, all right, God, which one of these things do you want to repeat verbatim? Not limit you in any way, but just simply be open with joy, full of worship, and expecting that your kingdom is still coming. Your will is being done. Your name is going to be hallowed. So we pray that you would do just that in and through us. And I pray that, Lord, if there's anyone here today that hasn't beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would remove the veil, take out the hard heart, put in the soft one, resurrect a dead soul, Bring it to life 
And may the gift and miracle of faith come alive and the, the profession be made from the depths of the soul, Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray that miracle would happen. And I ask it in his name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z-Faith.com, where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.